This is the Commercial Property Show Australia. Show number 26. Sometimes agents are not all that creative, and that's not a criticism, it's just a fact of life. They're probably running more of a processing house than a personalised operation just for your property. Hey, how's it going, commercial property community? Thanks for joining me again today. My name is Andrew Bean. I am your host today, and we've got a great episode today, a very timely episode, and here it is. In today's climate with the coronavirus, it might be a little bit harder to get a tenant for your property. So in today's episode, Chris Lang and I talk about how to tenant or release your property faster than the competition. Very timely episode, I think. So we go quite deep into the tactics you can use to find a new tenant and here it is. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. Go to www commercialpropertyshow.com.au Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum and together we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. My next guest is the founder of the Property Edge Australia. It's Mr. Chris Lang. How are you, mate? I'm good. And you? I'm fantastic, buddy. All right, mate. So today we are continuing on with our six-part negotiating tactic series, and we're up to part five, leasing vacant space quicker than the competition. So Chris, marketing your space well is going to be vital. What choices do you have there? Well, at the moment, it's a tough market, and that's partly brought about by the pandemic that we've all been through. And you've got to look at how your agent's going to handle it. And sometimes agents are not all that creative. And that's not a criticism. It's just a fact of life. They're probably running more of a processing house than a personalised operation just for your property. But what I think we perhaps need to do first is to take a helicopter view of what your alternatives are. And what I can do is give you something to put beneath this podcast to make clearer what I'm talking about but it's a simple chart and it's divided into two rows and two columns now on the vertical axis as far as marketing is concerned you're looking at the cost of your marketing and on the horizontal axis you're looking at the marketplace itself and as far as cost is concerned your top line relates to the possible paid advertising you could undertake and the bottom line is the possible free advertising or marketing. And when it comes to the marketplace, your first column relates to the what I call the invisible market, or in other words, 
sources that you cannot readily control. And the second column relates to your visible market where you can actually fairly easily identify those parties either by name or by specific characteristics to help you target them more directly. Now, when we look at the various quadrants on the chart, the top left-hand quadrant is where most real estate agents work. They're using things like daily media, ads, web portals like commercialproperty.com or or realcommercial.com and things like that. Now, for lease signs and the media advertising are probably the traditional ones where you're paying for advertising and pitching to the world at large. In other words, an invisible marketplace. The agent can't readily tell you who they're targeting. I mean, there are some newspapers that can provide you with a broad demographic profiles and income status, but basically it's an anonymous market that you're tackling. And if you move to the lower level of that chart, the free invisible market is what you call organic traffic to a website, which an agent may generate from their company profile. And if they've got lots of properties that they advertise on their website over time, that will have higher rankings in the search engine and give you more organic traffic and free marketing to an invisible audience because, again, you don't really know who they are. So what I like to focus on is the visible audience, which is the right-hand column. As far as the paid marketing is concerned, you can do it by a direct letterbox drop. Here we're talking about using Australia Post with designated postcodes based on where your target market might be. And it might be geographically close to where the property that's vacant is located. It may be several postcodes away with similar sorts of properties that you might want to attract people to. But for your property, they're generally the businesses nearby which may take in several adjoining postcodes. But because it's a direct mail piece, you can identify a target market. And for memory, instead of being a, a dollar a pop for postage, it, I think it comes down to 60 cents when you do a, a bulk deal with Australia Post. So that means you're reaching out to businesses in the surrounding area which you feel could be interested in making a move. You're directly targeting a specific niche market rather than adopting a scattergun approach by spending money on media ads and boards. So that's your first option. Now, the second one in this visible audience for paid ads is using web advertisements on things like Google AdWords or Facebook ads. And what most people don't realise is that you can actually target them quite specifically. I mean, for example, with Facebook ads, you can design an ad campaign to only be seen by a specific postcode, an age group, a business type, or an income level. And there are just so many ways you can define them in order that your ads only appear to what you define as your target market to a degree that you know precisely who they are, but what you do is create a niche market that you want to target. So... In other words, you can define your audience that you want to reach relative to your property and therefore avoid unnecessary expenses. It's not a numbers game. I mean, 
even if it's a pocket handkerchief market of, say, 500 people and you get 20 people respond, that's been a good result. Whereas some people confuse, they want lots and lots of people responding. And that's not the answer because most of them won't be the right people. Now, when we get to the bottom right-hand quadrant, that's where is what we call free and visible. And that involves things like direct email, e-flyers to which the agents will use and pepper to their database. However, when the market is tough, your property is a difficult one to lease, my preference is actually making direct phone calls because in that way, you get to engage with people one-on-one and you can obviously make a far better impression and progress the discussion a lot faster if you're actually talking with them. So hopefully that gives you a clearer picture of what your options are when it comes to marketing. Also, would you potentially go and visit these places? Like maybe you would actually hold letter like direct mail and you go and deliver it to them and speak to the owner on site. It can be a bit confronting both for you and them. Originally, you or your agent drive around and identify the properties or the tenants within those properties that might be appropriate rather than just do a postcode dump because the problem with the postcode dump is it's not really personal. It's just a generic document that will arrive there and hopefully will get to the right person. Whereas if you go down and around and find the, the companies by name, you can then direct the postage to them. Now, I wouldn't be confronting them physically face-to-face. I think your best to do is to, and look, it might sound low tech, but sometimes the best place to start is the yellow pages or visiting your local chamber of commerce. And you'll be surprised how helpful they can be in obtaining a list of firms occupying properties nearby. As I said, a simple method is just hopping in the car and driving around the neighbourhood streets, particularly if there are only likely to be 30 or 40 businesses involved, and just making a note of who they are and what their phone numbers are. And yes, in some cases, you might have to look up the phone numbers when you get back to the office, because not every business puts those details on their external signage. Either way, you end up with a whole list of potential targets. The thing is, most people find or simply hate having to make the actual phone calls. I mean, even agents who are supposed to be professionals don't like doing it. And I mean, that's basically for three reasons. The first being they don't know what to say. The second is the fear of being rejected. And thirdly, there is a concern that they may end up damaging their personal image if the people to whom they're they're speaking to get annoyed by the cold call. And therefore, I found the need to come up with a clever way to overcome that because it all stems from believing that you have to identify who you are and explain why you're calling. So there is a way to get around that. And perhaps if, if I walk you through a case study, if you okay. think it would be helpful. Back in the 1980s, my firm was involved in leasing the World Trade Centre in Melbourne. Now, for those that know where it is, they'll recognise it. I mean, it's a huge development, but it's located on an unattractive part of the CBD. It wasn't even in the CBD at the time. It was down in the Docklands, which was pretty much derelict at the time. 
and it included some 80,000 square metres of office space and it was a very tough market. Interest rates got up to around about 18%. So, I mean, it was a tough market. Now, most people are not aware, but to become a tenant in the World Trade Centre, a business needs to have at least half of its activities involved in overseas trade. There was a global requirement in order to be called a World Trade Centre. And at the time, other agents were very sceptical of us being successful on what we we're doing because effectively that requirement for qualification as a trade centre meant the available market space had suddenly shrunk down to 5% of available tenants. Now, despite this, when it officially opened, the World Trade Centre was 82% occupied. All right? So the question is, how do we do it? Well, when you initially sat down to think about it, we realised that they actually make lists of these companies. And from that, we quickly discovered there were 10 separate categories of potential occupiers. There are importers, exporters, freight forwarders, shipping companies, customs agent, and the list went on. So even though it was a very tightly defined group, we could easily obtain the phone numbers and contact details of every firm. And all we had to do now was to work out the best way to approach them. And that's where I came up with this simple framework. Okay. You have to understand that when someone receives a phone call, they usually have their mind on something else. They're probably working on something to do with their business or they may have a personal matter that's consuming their time. Either way, they're distracted and your unexpected phone call is actually a nuisance. And therefore, you need to do what is technically called pattern interrupt. Now, in other words, you have to say or do something to capture their attention so that you have their 100% undivided focus so how do you do that well as soon as they answered the phone and without even telling them who we were we would ask a simple question and that was we're just calling to check whether you finalized the lease for your new premises yet if you think about it if they're not planning to move they would tell us they had no interest and probably ask why we were calling, in which case we'd simply say, sorry, we must have had the wrong information, apologise for calling and hang up. Now, all of that took 15 seconds. There was no feeling of rejection because they didn't even know who we were, nor did we have to explain why we were calling. But what was extraordinary was that when we did find someone that was thinking of moving either now or in the next six months, the immediate response was, how did you know we were looking to move? <laughs> right, now at that point we knew we had their full attention and the secret lies in being able to establish within the first 15 seconds whether or not they are genuine prospects. And by doing so, you can imagine how many calls you can get through using this approach. Now, traditionally, most agents will make only 10 calls an hour because they feel the need to explain everything up front, introduce themselves, and in the process, the prospects get annoyed and start abusing them for unwanted interruption. Now, as such, the agents generally discourage and lose interest, and that's why they're not keen to adopt this approach, whereas the way I do it overcomes all those issues. You see, you have their attention and establish that they're thinking of moving. Once you do that, you simply answer their question by saying, well, knowing that is simply my part of my job. I need to keep up to date with the movements in the marketplace. And if you're making the calls yourself, you would say something like, I'm an investor and I just need to keep tabs on what's going on. So it's not rocket science. 
but it's a simple use of once once you talk to them and you know they're interested, it's very easy to move them to the next step. Yeah, I really like that example. That's really interesting because, yeah, definitely people really do avoid making direct phone calls. And everyone knows that when you get a phone call and you're in the middle of something and it takes you away from the focus that you've been putting onto that task, it is quite annoying. <laughs> you don't really want to be on that call. You want to be making calls on your own time. So, yeah, that's a great case study. So, mate, say your marketing agent you're not really happy with the effort they're putting in to release your property. When is it time to step in and start doing it yourself? And then if you actually do step in and do it yourself, do you still have to pay the agent for finding a new tenant, even though you've actually found the tenant and just handed him to them? Most leasing authorities, if they're current for, say, 60 days normally, assuming it's an exclusive authority, it doesn't matter who finds the tenant, the agent is legally entitled to claim a commission. Okay. And there's two schools of thought. Some people say, look, I should have signed five agents up on a general authority and whoever gets the fee, whoever finds the tenant gets the, the whole fee. Now, the problem you got with that is that contrary to popular opinion, the more people you've got involved, the less interest they take. They're thinking, well, what do I want to run around and spend all my time and effort in my team trying to find a tenant with this four other people that could find it and then we've wasted all our time? Most agents will plump for a, an exclusive authority. What you are entitled to do is ask them up front, what, how do they plan to market it? And if all they come back in is say, look, we put some ads in the paper and go on one of the real estate portals and we'll do a a flyer to our database, etc. Well, that's probably not enough. And that's where you might raise the issue or suggestion of what I've just covered of telemarketing campaign. Yeah, I really like that. So usually it's a 60 day window, is it that you sign with a, an agent to market the property? Well, usually, I mean, some uh, um, owners try and get it down to 30 days. But you got to understand the first couple of weeks are just getting everything organised. So it's only effectively by the time they get the website set up and the brochure prepared, there's only a two-week period in which to sort of receive and process responses. So 30 days is not really enough, to be fair. So normally it's 60, but they've got to convince you that they are going to do something creative. So... If they don't find a tenant, do they still get paid at all or is it just only if they're successful? No, it's a success fee and generally there's a run on afterwards that if you do, after the 60 days, introduce another agent but one of the people that the first agent identified and introduced to the property and told you about, if they subsequently lease it, then the first agent is entitled to a fee. Okay. And how much is the fee across the board usually that they'll, they'll ask for for the for actually getting a tenant for you? Well, it depends, but it's generally for a, a three-year lease, 10% of the first year's rental and then 1% for every year thereafter. And that has to be paid up front, not month by month? No, it's paid at the time the lease is signed. Okay, excellent. So how important do you think the presentation and the photos that they're using of the property online are? 
Well, I mean, people buy and lease with their eyes. They've got to be good. And most agents will arrange to get photographs done and they have someone either on staff or on call that do it. So it's generally not that expensive to have it done. If it's a property that may have some petitioning in it, if it's an office or a particular shape, it's probably worth having a floor plan done as well. Mm -hmm. And you might have the actual architect's drawings there are a bit complicated. So if you provide them to the agent, they've got people that can do a simplified floor plan that shows the entrance, the toilets and all that sort of stuff. And will the agent ever go through with you to kind of do like a, a bit of a freshen up beforehand and then run that project for you to get it up to kind of standard where it'll be a lot easier to lease? Yeah, again, it's presentation. I mean, you can do a lot with photographs, but if they arrive at the property and they're let down because the door doesn't close quite properly or there's the paintwork's scuffed and the carpet hasn't been cleaned. I mean, sometimes the best way to do it is just get a steam cleaner of the carpet because that, even if the carpet is a little old and the steam cleaning will tend to put everything back into, into order. Um, so, yeah, you've got to keep it. If there's a bit of garden outside, assuming it's freestanding, it's worth tending to that as well because... You want them, with, and I mean, if they arrive before the agent and they're wandering around and having a look, you wanted them to be in a good impression before they actually get inside. Yeah, definitely. So will an agent like kind of give you ideas? And I guess this is probably because all agents aren't created equally. Will some agents give you an idea of possibly a change in use to get a better rental or an easier like market to get a, a tenant back in, like a, a larger pool? Well... Change of use isn't so common. It, it's more where you might have an older industrial property where the zoning's changed and you can now have a mixed-use zoning which allows for offices. But if it's now offices, that's probably all you're going to be able to use it for. Because I'm thinking like, obviously, you and I have spoken about how to add value to properties as well. And I think there's a big kind of gap between some agents that you could potentially if you change the use to something, get a higher return and they could help you kind of figure that out. Does that happen often or is it kind of something that's not really progressed yet? If the opportunity is there, they obviously should. I mean, I know when I was actively in agency as opposed to what I do now, you know, that was the first thing I looked at. Is there some clever way we can improve the income that or the rent could be achieved? So... Uh, yeah, if the agent's worth the assault, they should be doing it. Now, I mean, that just brings me to one thing. Let's suppose you've got a medical centre. Wrongly, people assume that if the doctors went out, you could put in anyone into it because it's office space. Technically, that's true, but most medical centres and childcare centres are actually in residential zones with a permitted use for medical or childcare centres. You cannot, even though it might ideally be converted or adapted for offices doesn't mean you can use them as of right. So, yeah. and that's more a decision to be made up front. I mean, some people get sort of mesmerised by medical centres and childcare centres and sometimes they're on eight to ten year leases and they sound terrific. It's not a problem for the first five years, but once you get into the second five years of that period, it starts to lose some of its appeal because if that medical centre moves out, the chances are they'll be moving to somewhere nearby that someone's built something far more modern and, and what have you, they just pick up and move. 
and to get another group of doctors with the other centre within a couple of hundred metres away is going to be very difficult. So you've just got to be a little bit careful. Okay, so what incentives can you offer and negotiate with the incoming tenant to sweeten the deal for them? Well, it depends where you are in Australia. I mean, things with the pandemic have been a bit tough, but generally there'll be a rent-free period offered or a contribution to fit out. And the sort of rent-free period, as a rule of thumb, is sort of one month for every year of the lease. So for a three-year lease, it'll be three months. For a five-year lease, it's probably about five or six months as a rent-free period. That's interesting. So what about fit-out? And so after you pay for the fit-out, do you own it or the ownership go to the tenant there? If you paid for it, you own it. Sometimes the tenant, depending on their size, let's say they had a quarter of a million dollar fit-out, you might agree to put in 100000 because it's a eight to ten-year lease. Yep. So what you would do as the owner is ask for an itemised list relating to the fit-out up to $100,000. And the reason for that is that you can then depreciate that. Yep. So now that, to a degree, complicates things as far as the make-good is at the end because if you own the the part of the fit-out, it's a bit hard to get the tenant to make good. But, I mean, often there will still be a make-good clause where you have required the tenant to reinstate the premises to the condition, the vacant premise, as though it were vacant premises before the fit-out as at the time of when they went in there. But they say fair wear and tear accepted. So in other words, if it's been at the end of a 10-year lease, you would assume the carpet has probably had a life. So to have them replaced with a brand-new carpet is probably unreasonable, but they would make some contribution to that and also be required to remove the fit out and paint the walls. Having said that, my preference is that you get a quantity surveyor in to do what's called a dilapidation report. What they do is they item by item cost the reinstatement of the premises. Now, being quantity surveyors, they generally come up on the heavy side and let's say the reinstatement was $120,000. Now, you may well have a be able to get a building contractor in there to do it for 80. So what you do is you say to the tenant, look, rather than you have to go to the trouble of organising the reinstatement and paying the cost of the contractor, and I mean, you, because most of them are so consumed with moving the business, the last thing they want to do is be reinstating the premises. You might agree to a figure of $80,000 cash and just leave the fit out there because it's unlikely that the fit-out or most of the fit-out, if not all of it, won't be of some use to the incoming tenant. Now, they might have to remove, consolidate some offices, create an open area, but it's a lot cheaper to do that than actually put in brand-new petitioning. You don't need a permit to remove stuff, but you do to add stuff. Plus, that $80,000 can go towards the a rent-free period for the incoming tenant. I guess, and then also, if you actually need to do work on the property, you're better off doing it yourself by licensed contractors that you know that they're going to have quality work rather than giving that responsibility to the outgoing tenant who's probably just going to get the cheapest person to just do a, a you know, a band-aid job. Yeah. 
All right, Chris. Well, we'll wrap it up there. I heard a few whispers that you're opening a few spots to your mentor program. Do you want to tell listeners about that? Well, apart from my foundation members, when I first started out, I only have at any one time 20 members because we have one-on-one times each month for 30 minutes and quarterly webinars and so forth. Most members renew, but every now and then they find they've bought enough property for the time being and put their membership on pause. So, look, I do have two or three coming up. And what I might do is give you a link that you can put beneath the podcast, which if it's still available, your listeners can go to and find out a bit more about the mentor group and see if it's something they want to be part of. All right. Sounds good. So, yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. And we'll see if we can put that on the website as well when the the episode goes live under the episode. All right, Chris, so where can listeners go to find out more about you and your services apart from that link? Well, probably the best way would be go to the website commercialpropertymadeeasy.com, all one word, commercialpropertymadeeasy, where There's a whole host of both free and paid for training that people can have a look at. And there's a number of free videos and other material. Fantastic. My guest today has been Chris Lang. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure. Alright, alright, that brings us to our newest segment to the show, and that segment is called Ripper Resource. In this segment, I'm going to share some resources that I have personally used, read, or listened to that have made a big difference in my life, and I think they deserve to be shared. So, this week's Ripper resource is Set for Life by Scott Trench. Now, I'm sure not too many of you would have heard of the name Scott Trench before. He's an American, he is the CEO of Bigger Pockets, and he's written this amazing book. It's like basically just a book that lays out exactly the foundation of how you should invest for cash flow to set your life up for financial freedom. I mean, the book is literally called Set for Life, Dominate Life, Money, and the American Dream. I'll change that to the Australian Dream just for our listeners. And the exact description of the book is learn to build a stable financial foundation that will carry you through times of economic uncertainty. And I mean, right now, economic uncertainty everywhere. And he really does deliver on it. And they actually are talking about residential property in the book, but because they invest for cash flow, it translates to commercial property. So it's a great book. And it's this week's Ripper Resource, Set for Life by Scott Trench. Well, there you go, guys. Another show done. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for the music and Chris Lang. And remember, in the words of Grant Cardone, success is your duty, obligation, and responsibility. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.